Lent, the season that was before Easter, is six Sundays long. Easter as a season is actually seven Sundays long. And I, I, I don't know, I mean, if you're like me, you kind of grew up in an environment where, you know, Easter was not a season. It was just a day, and it was a nice day. It was a day to dress up, but it was a day. But, but traditionally, Eastertide is this whole season, and it's seven Sundays long. And one of the reasons that Easter seven Sundays long while Lent is six is because the feast always outlasts the fast. The feast always outlasts the fast. It's a way of kind of proclaiming to ourselves, reminding ourselves that in the midst of a world that, we are, that is surrounded by suffering and sorrow, maybe fast-like conditions, reminding ourselves that there is a feast that is coming, there's a feast that's in fact already begun. And I want to say just very quickly this morning three things about the feast, the feast that has begun. And I know I'm only going to make you hungrier for the potluck, but that's part of the goal here. The first is this, the feast is where we see what God is like. The feast, the images that Jesus gives over and over again throughout the Gospels of a banquet table, the kind of place where you invite others in, the people that you would not expect to be invited in. The feast is the place where we recognize that the kind of God that we serve is not a stingy God. I don't know what your images of God were like, but sometimes church contributes greatly to a very uh, miserly image of God, where God is this sort of crotchety, Scrooge-like man who says, okay, maybe I'll give you this if you've been good enough, or if you've gone to church, or if you've behaved, any of that sort of a thing. Or we swing to maybe this jolly grandfather, Santa sort of thing, and both are distortions. The truth is, at the feast, we see a God who is the generous host of all of creation, The psalmist in our Old Testament reading said, listen, the children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house. You see, with God, there is always more than enough. With God, there is always more than enough. With God, there is always more than enough grace for all of our failures. With God, there is always more than enough strength for our weariness. With God, there is always more than enough mercy for every morning. With God, there is more than enough love for every heart. With God, there is always more than enough. We feast at the abundance of His table. Whatever images come to mind when you think of God, I pray that it's the table that shapes this image. That all of a sudden you see God as the great host. And all of creation saying, we feast at the abundance of your house. Because with God, there is always enough. The feast is also where we learn to be a family. So the feast is where we see what God is like, but it is also where we learn to be a family. Because at a feast, especially a feast like today, where this is a big experiment. Have you ever done a potluck with this many people? I'm not sure how this will work. We may get to the end and only have crackers and cheese. I don't know. We'll see. But at a feast, you're going to find yourself seated next to people that maybe you didn't otherwise know. And people that you didn't, maybe didn't care for in particular. At Jesus' feast in particular, there are always going to be people that you weren't expecting there. This is the point of the New Testament reading in the book of Acts where it says, look, they kept meeting in each other's homes 
Because what spilled over, they gathered together, they continued in the apostles' doctrine, they had the common meal, which was the Lord's Supper, but then they worshipped together in the, in the temple, and then they went and had meals in each other's homes. Because listen, with family there is always enough room. With family there's always enough room. I come from uh, an Asian background, and, and in Asian backgrounds, there's just no way you ever say no to family. I mean, I mean, literally. And I remember once in, in the early years of our marriage, we were navigating my parents and my sister and her husband and, and, and trying to figure out how we could possibly host everyone. And we literally did not have enough room in our home. And so we were contemplating, well, can we put them in a motel or can we do something like that? And it was one of those moments where all of a sudden we realized, okay, I had to say, all right, honey, this is where the Asian thing is different. Because we can't do that. I can't say to my parents you can go to a motel that we've paid for you. Because the, the thing is, with family, there's always enough room. The image that we get of the early Christians, the image that we get of them having their fellowship that spills over into each other's homes, is that there was always enough room for more. And even though there were growing pains, and even though there were strains, and how do we take care of Greek widows versus Jewish widows, and what do we do with Gentiles, and how do we eat together? In fact, one of the big folk things... Paul focuses on with regard to dietary restrictions. The whole goal of this thing is to strike down the wall between Jewish believers and Gentile believers. Why? So we could all eat together. Because with family, there's always enough room. New Life Downtown has grown maybe a little more quickly than any of us imagined. Um, Maybe some of you have more faith or whatever than, than optimism, I suppose. And I know in an ideal scenario, we would, we would grow a little bit more slowly, take time for everyone to know everybody's names and be in each other's homes. And I love, actually I love that that's already happening. I love that through our dinner groups and beyond, uh, through, through just normal uh, interactions and people meeting one another, that it is spilling into each other's homes. And I know, I, and I've thought about this, it's almost a little bit like the advice you give to a young married couple or a young engaged couple. You say, look, in an ideal world... You know, you'd take a few years to learn what it means to be married first, and then you'd add kids. I get that. And in an ideal world, the church would kind of grow slowly and develop, and then eventually add more people. But sometimes you get pregnant on your honeymoon with twins. (laughs) And and so here we are. (laughs) But my, my encouragement to all of you and to all of us together is that we continue to make this a kind of congregation where there's always enough room. Where with our dinner groups, we say, well, can we squeeze one more? I don't know. Here, let's figure this out. Or do we need more groups? Yeah, let's let's do that. Let's do this. And there's a way of saying, you know what? At this feast, we are family. And because we are, there's always room. Finally, the feast is where we proclaim the future that has already begun. The future that has begun. The feast is where we proclaim the future that has begun. And think about Luke, our gospel reading for today, where Jesus says, look, with the feast in God's kingdom, it's kind of like this. All the qualified people were too busy, and so I called all the disqualified people. Luke is famous for this theme that is called the eschatological reversal, the great reversal, that Jesus' kingdom, God's rule, brings about this whole topsy-turvy thing, the, the unsettling of things as they are. 
So the world says the dignified, the qualified, the righteous, the ones who've got it together, these are the people that have it good in life. And in fact, if you were to walk around and talk to people, most of the advice you hear in life is really some kind of form of this, uh, it's, an, it's an Americanism or a, or a successism, if you will. And it goes like this. If you do these things, if you plan this way, if you raise your kids this way, listen, that's, that's what's going to be the key to a successful family, to a successful life. You'll have these kinds of jobs and you'll have the, your kids will grow up in this way. And I think there are enough of us in this room that have done all those things correctly and rightly and yet realize there's more to life that's outside our control. Do you agree? And that there's this, there's this strange mystery to the interaction of human will and God's sovereignty. We're not quite sure how to make sense of it. But all we know is the people that say to us, listen, it's the, it's the ones who do it right that get to enjoy the feast or get to enjoy the rewards. God in his kingdom says, no, that's not it. It's the ones who are messed up enough and honest enough to say, I don't know, but I'm not too busy to come to the invitation. Those are the ones that come into the feast. Not the ones who say, yes, I, oh, I've got it. I'm, I'm, I'm the perfect church family. We're poster child people. You know, we, we do this. We go on mission trips. We agree. But I, I might be too busy for this, or I might have this going on, or I might have this going on. Jesus is saying, look, there is a future that's already begun to arrive. Where all the people that the world says don't belong and all the people that the world says it's too late or you've gone too far, you've done too much, you don't fit. There's no way you can ever partake of this feast. Jesus says, my feast is especially for the least. My feast is especially for the least. In fact, (laughs) the only thing you need to do to come to this feast is to come with empty hands. See, unlike today where it is a potluck, <laughs> Jesus' feast is not a potluck because there's nothing you have to bring to his feast. The truth is there's nothing you can bring to his feast. You can't bring your righteousness. You can't bring your formulas. You can't bring your good works. You can't bring your methods. You can't bring your books. You can't bring all your learning. You can't bring your knowledge. What you do have to come is to say, Jesus, only with you does the world get set right again. Only with you do the broken get made healed. Only with you do the out, does the outsider get brought in. Only with you do the poor and the lonely and the outcast feast at a table. This is the future that has already begun. And at the feast, every time we as Christians feast, we're proclaiming it. And you know what it kind of feels like to me is it sort of feels like we proclaim it a little bit in protest. It's a little bit of our way of kind of sticking it to the world. (laughs) And I don't mean the world as in people. I mean life and culture. The way that things sort of, the way that life kind of beats you down and says, listen, you're not allowed to feast. You have to live in a condition of famine. You need to pinch pennies. You need to live tight. You need to live small. And Jesus says there is a grace that's larger than what you imagine. And Jesus says there is a hope that's better than what you dreamed. And Jesus says there is another ending to this story and it's not suffering and sadness and difficulty. And the feast is our way of Christians as saying, no, we protest against the sadness of this world. The feast is our way of saying, this will not be the last word. So we feast while all around is famine. All around is sorrow. 
all around is sadness and brokenness. The church says there is an exceedingly generous God who's given us a feast with His own life. And so we are extravagantly generous in our love, in our service, in our welcoming in of one another because every time we do it, we announce to the world that selfishness and death don't win. Love, generosity, grace. Jesus, the feast, wins. Amen? Let's bow our heads in a moment of prayer this morning and let's quietly begin to where we are just begin to speak to the Lord we won't do a corporate confession this morning I want you just where you are to begin to say Jesus I need you feed me on your grace and as our worship team comes and gets ready to lead us this morning right where we are just begin to say Lord Jesus I need you Lord Jesus, teach me to feast. Lord Jesus, open my eyes to the generosity of Your grace. Open my eyes to see You at work in me, in our world. Take a moment, just right where you are.